0: So switching gears now to the City of Iowa City Works Session for May 17th, 2022. And we are going to start with our first item, which is a presentation from the local Childhood Child Coalition. So we're going to just welcome Jennifer.
1: Brought Missy along with me too, so she's going to be uh, tag teaming and help me, helping me out a little bit. So, right. um, I wanted to start out by talking a little bit about why the business partnership has gotten involved with childcare, just to sort of frame why this is such an important issue for our community. Um, but I, I wanted to start with talking about how many women are, um, in the workforce. So the state of Iowa has, um, the highest, uh, women, percentage of women in the workforce than any other state except for Minnesota. We're tied. Um, and of Iowa's women that are in the workforce, women of color, um, exceed all of those numbers. So really, when we talk about, Uh, child care, and we talk about removing barriers to work. Um, This is an equity issue as well as a business issue. So uh, back in 2019, when I started working at the business partnership, um, I was uh, doing some research on workforce. Uh, At the time, I think we were at 3.6% unemployment, so really low, and we're we're back there again now. Um, And I was trying to figure out, Um, how we could remove as many barriers to work as possible. And what I found out was that nobody at that time was really talking about child care. And so I reached out to the Iowa Women's Foundation, had them come in and do a session with us, um, a child care solutions summit, I think is what it's called. And I thought maybe 20 or 30 people would show up. Um, The room was standing room only. It was so hot in there. It was like 70 plus people. We can't even imagine that anymore, right? We don't go to those types of closed-in rooms anymore. But um, it was overwhelming, the number of people um, that wanted to work on solutions to our child care problems. So that was in October of 2019. We met once uh, for this big summit. We started. uh, We formed some teams that were going to work on, uh, a few projects. And of course, as you know, uh, when we got back together in January of 2020, that was the last last time that we met um, as a group in person. So we really switched gears, and um, I we, we started meeting every week or every other week with as many child care providers that wanted to join us on Zoom. And it was Mondays. Megan was there. Missy was there. Um, it was Mondays, I think, at 1 o'clock during nap time for child care providers. Mm-hmm. And I was calling it the child care provider support group, you know, because uh, child care providers during uh, COVID and the onset of the pandemic were really struggling with just finding basic. Necessities like whole milk. Um, our grocery stores. I, I know it seems like that's a million years ago, but that was just a few years ago that we were, you know, not able to find milk or, um, you know, struggling with finding PPE or finding um, the appropriate um, cleaning supplies. I mean, you can't just use any cleaning supply with an infant. You know, you have to have special stuff. So we would meet on Mondays. I would spend the rest of that week trying to uh, figure out the a solution to the problems that we were coming up with um, we met with elected officials like Senator Ernst um, when they were uh, allocating some money for child care and for small businesses and um, and so we really built a lot of trust and camaraderie between our child care providers, which is something that hadn't happened before. Um, so if there was any good that came out of the pandemic, um, we really started to think as a group and and build some trust between um, different organizations. So. Um, We're coming out of the pandemic. Um, We've built some great relationships. Uh, The governor started the child care task force, which I was honored to be selected as part of that task force. And um, during that statewide task force, the thing that we kept hearing was workforce. Workforce, workforce, workforce. The child care industry. the workforce has been um, underappreciated for far too long. And um, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'm gonna keep my business partnership hat on and not my feminist hat on. But, you know, the women, mostly women, that serve our childcare industry. Are underpaid, and um, the profession has not been built up to be um, the noble profession that it really is. So. Um, during the task force, we really hammered that hard. We wanted child care providers to be paid more. Um, we wanted them to be recognized as professionals. And in doing so, being provided 401K and PTO, things that we all have in our, in our jobs, right? Um, things that they, that they don't have. So, um, some of the other things that we talked about in the task force um, were shared services. You know, every child care center, whether it's in a home or in a large setting with 100 children, it's a business, right? And so you have things like payroll and taxes, and, um, you know, like I said, buying lunches and, and things like that. So, how can we provide a shared services model um, at the state level? So. Um, but at the end of the day, we really, really um, wanted to hammer in on wages. So um, state of the ch- state of child care now. So I just want to give you some um, background on what we're seeing post-pandemic. It's not post-pandemic right now, is it, unfortunately? But um, at this point in the pandemic, as you know, there is a shortage of workforce um, throughout our community and throughout the country, right? The Great Resignation, you all have heard about that. What has happened is large corporations and companies such as Target or Trader Joe's or um, Amana or whatever, they now are paying their workforce more, um, which is excellent, right? Um, Child care providers uh, prior to the pandemic were making $10, $11 an hour. They can now go and work at Target, McDonald's, Walmart, wherever, for $15, $16, $17, $18 an hour with benefits, with PTO. So um, th- what we're seeing is our child care centers are really having to raise um, their s- the salary of their workforce, which is excellent and we want, right? But unfortunately, child care is a market-based solution. And so when they raise the salary of their employees, they're raising how much it costs for their customer, the parents. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I started calling child care centers, um, acting like I had a a child that I needed to put, um, you know, to find child care for. And I was asking, how much? How how much are you charging? One child care center that I called was um, $500 a week for a newborn. If you can find a newborn spot, it's $500 a week. So th- just think about that. and. Um, kind of go back to some of those numbers that I was talking about before. We have a lot of women in the workforce. How are they going to make that? How are they going to make that work? Um, so I know personally, my children are raised now, but I had a three-year-old and a newborn in childcare. I would not be working today, even on my salary today. So just to put that into perspective. So. Um, Going back to, um, you know, being able to pay our workforce more, um, I think one of the, the frustrations that came out of this legislative session, which also is not over yet, but one of the things that we really wanted them to address was childcare assistance reimbursement rates. The reimbursement rate... Um, on that $500 a week child um, spot at that center here in Johnson County would only be reimbursed a fraction. I think it's $175 a week for a newborn. Is that right? Okay, somewhere around that number. So they're only getting a fraction of what a full rate child would be paying. Why would you take CCA if you can make $500 a week as opposed to $175 a week. If you're running a business, again, I go back to I, every child care provider is <laughs> in the business because they love children. But you also are running a business, and you're trying to pay your employees. Um, so it is it is really bleak out there for all parents. It's especially, especially bleak, bleak for low-wage-earning parents. Um, so. It's not all doom and gloom. Uh, the governor did um, put aside a very large chunk of money to provide retention bonuses for child care workers. Um, that is a $1,000 retention bonus. Um, Johnson County allocated um, $750,000 over the next, uh, I think, three or four years for retention bonuses. So we're really um, working, chipping away at, Trying to pay our childcare workforce a little bit more—it's just a drop in the bucket. They, to me, they should all be making a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, but uh, it's a drop in the bucket, and it, it's getting us um, to a point where hopefully uh, folks uh, can be compensated a little bit more fairly. Um, so during. Um, the summer july of 2021 we um all got back together the coalition uh again foolishly thinking that the pandemic was over um and we wanted to talk about the state of childcare as it is at that time and what things we could start working on and um we really identified again workforce uh, we wanted to build a pipeline of childcare workers um, we we uh started a program with Iowa City uh school school districts, um, and Kirkwood Community College to put together a high school academy, uh, CDA academy, so that, um, is in the works, and, um, they'll have their first cohort, um, in the fall of next year, next school year. Um, We have been working with um, Kirkwood on some ELL programming for child care providers and and some other things that I think um, Missy will go into more detail about. But um, again, going back to we're building this pipeline of, of employees or people that can work in the workforce. But what ends up happening is after they get all of their credentialing, the school district takes them, because they've got all the credentialing they need to be a paraeducator. And again, going back to, why wouldn't you work in the school district, where you're going to make more money and get you know that 401k and the the PTO and all of that. So we really need to. We're building that pipeline, but we really do need to um, professionalize this profession and really, you know, acknowledge that 85% of cognitive development happens before a child enters a school building at age five. So um, trying to really crack that nut and and um, uh, address that issue. So. I guess I I'm here to talk a little bit about some solutions. It's uh, like I said, we have some wage um, supplements in the form of retention bonuses, um, but we do have a few other things that are really exciting that are happening within the coalition that Missy's going to talk about. Um, that we'd like to talk with you about and see if you would be willing to support um, support us in those endeavors. So.
2: Uh, one of the programs that 4Cs operates is um, a, a project called Starting Strong. And what that is, is we work very closely with low-income individuals who are interested in being in-home child care providers. Um, we provide them with, um, we call them incentives, so it's it's things to just enhance their early um, early learning environment to make sure that it's educationally appropriate. We um, help them out with um, early literacy, early STEM, um, and just that play as a form of learning and things like that. Um, in Within this that program, the providers that we work with, we require them to take at least fifty percent of their um, children um, on child care assistance. <clears throat> One of the things that we've found is that not only are these um, people of color, but also the refugi- refugee and immigrant population. Um, a lot of them work, uh, live in rentals, and their programs can be um, limited by um, how much, how many children their landlord says they can take. So um, we are evolving that program to have um, like a pilot project, I guess you want to call it, for those providers that have already done their pre-service training um, that that we've helped them through, and if their program isn't going to be viable in their home, um, we've partnered with, or we are in talks, anyway, of partnering with Lionheart, who is a child care center in um, in Johnson County or in Iowa City, that um, they're struggling with workforce. So that is um, kind of an offshoot of the Starting strong program that we've we've um, started investigating what what that partnership looks like with Lionheart and possibly with other centers um, because we want those um, people that are interested in in working in the in the childcare industry to um, have a, a, a good knowledge and a good working knowledge of um, what it is to work in a center and be and be well trained so that we've got a good workforce as well. Um, one of the uh, uh, programs that Jennifer mentioned is um, called through Kirkwood an earn and learn program Um, and that is um, the Kirkwood uh, students that are enrolled in their ELL classes, if they're interested in um, becoming a child care um, working in the field of child care they can go through this earn and learn program um, where they will get all of their pre-service training that is required by DHS for them to work in a center um, that will be um, there will be translation, if there are language barriers, and then they will be um, partnered with a center where the centers will take them on as an employee and match them up with a mentor in the classroom so that they can be working alongside their learning. Um, not only are they going to be doing their pre-service training, but they'll also be learning some culturally appropriate um, ways of caring for kids that we do in America that they may not do in their, in their home culture. We're really excited about that project, um, and it can also go both ways. So if you have a staff person and working in your center that you think um, you know could do have some benefit of an ELL class, um, you can you can recommend them to go through that program as well, and then they'll also get that um, other training that they need and things like that. Um, that I, there's an informational session with Kirkwood coming up this week, and I think that the timeline is to start that um, sometime this summer with the first cohort graduating in August. So we're really excited about that. Um, so those two, I think, um, programs will really complement one another. Um, 4Cs also works very closely with um, the refugee and immigrant population, and we actually get funding through um, CDBG to help with technical support with those with those um, programs in the Starting Strong program. But um, the one thing that I wanted to point out about that is that, um, and I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, one of the things that we feel is very important, though, is. Engaging that part of the community into our community and setting them up for success. And so, one of the things that we would also like to do to make that make our programming a bit more robust is to figure out a way that we can recruit more um, more more people within those neighborhoods where there are child care deserts, um, and also um, identifying individuals that are interested in doing this um, so that families can take their kids to a neighborhood um, program. Um, Again, just making that more, uh, making those individuals living in those neighborhoods feel more connected to their neighborhood and to their community. Um, We also would like to help them market their programs and, and really feel comfortable not just taking kids within their culture, but that may be able to expand their programming if they have felt more comfortable um, opening that up to to other other families that are just within their neighborhood. Um, and I think that that would be beneficial for those um, the the people that grew up here or that were born here, as well as the people that are coming into our community. Um, Was there anything else? And then Jennifer mentioned the CDA program. So we do have some things coming up that are, that are rolling out. Um, I, I'm the kind of person that likes to see immediate growth and immediate uh, change. But um, I, I'm looking forward to what we've been able to accomplish in a pretty short amount of time. We'll reap the benefits of that, hopefully, within the next few years and see that. Yeah. So
1: she's not going to ask, so (laughs) I'll ask. (laughs) Um, So one of the things, one of the challenges that we're facing right now is there's all these great programs that we're bootstrapping, right, to get off the ground. What we really need is uh, some sort of navigator um, position that can go into the community, explain the process to folks, um, get to know people and their situation, and uh, direct them to the appropriate training program, whether it's earn and learn or uh, some other uh, training mechanism for um, them that would be appropriate. So that that is one thing that I think we've been struggling with is just getting the word out about some of these great programs that that Missy and other coalition members have been putting together. Um, we we just we're all doing this kind of as a part of our job, right? So um, we could really use some funds to hire a navigator that could go out and spread the word and um, really pull this thing um, pull this thing off. Um, the The next thing I wanted to just mention is we, although we do have funding for the retention bonuses, it is still really important to provide some funding to encourage people to go into this field and to stay into the, in this field. So um, although there are a lot of dollars being allocated to that, those dollars will quickly run out. And it would be nice to be able to continue and um, just continue to support uh, child care providers um, with a wage supplement. And then lastly, I will also mention um, and I, I'm not sure how far along it is. I, I reached out to the county on this. But the county is building a child care center um, over across the way um, from the administration building. Those white cinder block buildings that are over there, those will come down. And there is an affordable housing project going in there with child care on the first floor. So uh, I know that the city is, is committed to helping with that. But I just wanted to re-articulate you know, articulate that that project will be just a fantastic project close to Kirkwood Community College, so students can be working in that facility. It's in an area that doesn't have a lot of child care. And it could also provide um, county and city employees with um, child care that's really close by as well. So just wanted to mention those three options um, to you. Questions?
3: i have a question about to, to what extent are you have i mean i've sat in on some of the meetings but i haven't been able to come to all but to what extent are you working also with the school district because i know the school district's looking at a variety of things including um they're piloting uh pre-k with wraparound care at, at two schools this year trying to figure out how to how to make that how to eventually fund that and and grow it and work with child care centers and providers to get so so it's a it's sort of a it's a it's a big topic because um, providers get a lot more money for uh, basically they sort of earn their money by um, with the older kids because they don't have to have that because the ratios are much higher Um, and a lot of those kids get sort of taken out and and, and end up being in in pre-k with with sort of how are you looking at that piece
1: yeah. So that again, this is an onion of a problem. We're going to have to come at it from a lot of different angles. And so Lisa Williams is on. It is part of the uh, coalition. She was actually the one that you know really helped get um, the CDA Academy launched um, within the school district. And she has invited me to a, a few conversations now um, with the school district about what that would look like. Um, obviously, yes. Uh, child care providers really need those um, those uh, preschoolers to make back some of the money that they lose on younger kids. So we're trying to find a... Uh, a fit for everyone, and the school district really can't take on every three- and four-year-old in the community anyway. They just don't have the physical infrastructure for that. So there will be some sort of combined effort for four-year-olds and potentially three-year-olds.
3: Is is anyone looking at at bringing, sort of having the school district be the official the the hiring arm so that they can get into some of the school district pension systems or?
1: Yeah, there are some conversations where they would send a school district teacher into a facility and um, that person would be paid for uh, to travel to that. I don't, there are no finalized solutions yet, but like everything has been discussed. Yeah, for sure. Thanks.
0: you had mentioned um one of the things a navigator a full time position of a navigator um uh, would that be uh, is that something you've been talking about with other entities um do you have in in your mind some sort of a model of what that would look like and how that would be funded and uh, uh what their territory uh, would be um
2: so 4Cs, I think, is a natural fit for that employee. Um, We have really good relationships, not only with the um, providers in Johnson County specifically, but we also have really great relationships with other organizations. Um, We partner with the Catherine McAuley Center in Cedar Rapids. We do their um, refugee program in Johnson County, um, as well as tight um, connections with neighborhood centers of Johnson County um, and UAY and and all of those other organizations. Um, it, It seems to be um, a natural fit, also because while there are other organizations that contract with DHS, we're the, we feel like we're the grassroots boots on the ground, um, can pivot really quickly. We we were able to do that in the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, definitely, and don't aren't tied to uh, some of the bureaucracy that other larger organizations state organizations then um, mm-hmm. have to do. So. Um, this makes it sound like I go rogue, which I might, but um anyway, so it just it, it seems that four C's would be a natural fit for that. Um, especially given the different um things that we have our hands in. Um not just starting strong, but we've got a lot of different irons in the fire, so to speak. So Okay. And then I'm what I know you had another question in there.
0: Well, I just, I I mean, have you approached, like, uh, because you'd mentioned funding being a part of that. So, um, obviously, we're one entity. I don't know, you know, do you have an idea clearly what that would look like, and are we... Would you be looking for a couple of entities to partner to sure. underwrite?
2: So or? What? I have um, I proposed a program to someone at the county um, who is looking into what um, specifically they would do with their ARPA money that is tied to or allocated for childcare. Um, I have a request in for a grant request into the Iowa Women's Foundation also for mm-hmm. this position. Um, the City of North Liberty has just released their RFP, um, and then I would do an ask in Coralville as well. So we could cover the whole county. Um, I think that when I look at um, the allocation that the county has given towards child care, I think it's around 25%. And my ask to the city council here would be, could you match that percentage? And not necessarily all for this program, but for child care, kind of mirroring what the county has, um, has Given thought to and pointed as um, some some initiatives that they feel are important. So,
4: thank you.
3: Yeah, I would I would just uh, sort of stress one of the things that you said, Jennifer, earlier, which is this is 85% of cognitive development happens be- before kids get into school. This is really part of the education continuum. If we want mm-hmm. um, if we want um, equity, if we want to help everyone across the spectrum sort of s- start school on, uh, public school on an even footing this uh, figuring out this this childcare thing is is essential
1: Yeah, I often say, you know, what we're talking about is access to affordable, high quality (laughs) childcare, which provides stability for both the child and the parent and the business (laughs) employer. (laughs) But it also is creating a healthy, strong neighborhood where children are, you know, really receiving what they need to, um, you know, succeed later in life and whatever that looks like. So.
2: And I appreciate you pointing that out, Janice, because in a board meeting not too long ago, um, we we hear a lot about workforce and workforce shor- shortage and things like that. And we forget that that is really, we want to impact the child as well. And so when I talk about what 4Cs does, it is about leveling the playing field. So thank you for bringing that up again, because that's what we're looking for. Every child in Iowa City, in Johnson County, having that first foot into kindergarten ready to go.
5: Yeah, I think of the that term, uh, the child is father to the man. And uh, there's a remarkable documentary called Seven Up. I don't know if you've ever seen that, where this, it's set in England. It's a documentary where they look at kids on a seven-year basis. And the first couple of, you know, so the first episode is at seven. And then as you see that child over, that person's, you know, 14, 21, 28. The personality is established at the age of seven. It, it really is astonishing to see how quickly a person's being is formed. And yet, we do seem to have sort of in, inverted the importance of early childhood, as if it's just of very little significance. Um, yeah, this is a fascinating area, and it with great potential, but it's very concerning how it's you know, gaining traction with it, but I I really appreciate what you're doing.
3: I have one more quick question, which is, are there any businesses or larger businesses in the area that are contributing or are giving their employees stipends or one way or the other helping out?
1: There are a few um, businesses that are contributing. This is an area that I have really struggled with, um, trying to gain more business support. Obviously, that's the other half of my job with this, is going out and talking to businesses about it and getting their support. What I hear back is, um, you know, I make toothbrushes. I don't provide child care. You know, this is not my core competency, not my area of expertise. Find me a solution and I will support it. But I don't want to try to figure out how to provide childcare within my business um, because it's just not part of my core competency. And then also remember that over 80% of our employers are small businesses. So you know, at the Business Partnership, the majority, a third of our members are nonprofits. (laughs) And so, you know, we're talking about really small employers. And we've just come off of two really tough years. And so this just seems like kind of like something that, that just keeps getting pushed to the back. And so that's why we've really tried to step up and provide some options for business owners to get engaged and find some ways that, um, that they can engage in this work um, that seems um, doable for them. So.
0: well thanks to both of you really appreciate it all right we are going to move on to the next agenda item which is clarification of agenda items hearing nothing, we will go on to information packet may 5th
4: i had a question about ip4 which was the um historic preservation commission memo on the montgomery douglas or montgomery butler house and it kind of goes along with ip8 in that same packet which was the their um Committee minutes from April 14th, um, talking about uh, forming some type of uh, investigative con- working group uh, to figure out what to do with this house. I mean, it's, we've the city's had control of it for some time, and it's just kind of sitting there, and it's kind of, from what I what sounds like and what looks like, kind of a gem of. Uh, uh, in the history of Iowa City, so I I don't know Jeff, um, if you can say, what do we need to do as a council? Just say, yeah, go for it, you know, because they were going to open it up to the committee or the committee members, HPC, uh, and uh, Parks and Rec, as well as community members. Do we need to do anything as a council on that?
6: Yeah, I think you you would have to direct that action. Um, staff has looked at it, and and we actually provided quite a bit of information to the Historic Preservation Commission and and the Parks Commission, um, uh, about the current condition of the house, I would say that, uh, it doesn't look like much of a gem right now. Uh, you know, it was, uh, mothballed to a minimal degree back when it was, you know, acquired 15-plus years ago. Um, really has not, um, been invested in since. Um, and it certainly shows that. It's, uh, um... It's not a pretty site right now. Um, I, I think, um, you know, in this case, uh, staff uh, from multiple departments looked at it, and we don't see an obvious use for this property. Um, we've we've struggled with it over the years to think about what it could be. Could it be a, a trail amenity? Is it just a historic marker asset? Um, we. Frankly, we really don't see um, a viable use going forward for it. And we think that uh, we probably would need to make the tough decision to to tear it down and memorialize it in some way on the site. Um, I know that's not going to be the popular opinion. Uh, with Historic Preservation Commission. um, But that's frankly where where your staff is right now. Um, We can form a committee. Um, We can invite members of the Parks and Rec Commission and Historic Preservation Commission to join that and kind of uh, go through an exploration process. I think what council needs to understand is that's a significant undertaking. Um, It's a significant undertaking in time uh, for a staff um, that that already has a number of significant uh, Items to undertake, you know, on our to-do list. So, if this is if this is one of those top priorities for you, uh, we absolutely can do it, and we can come back to you with a report on on where we think this uh, property could go. Um, it's also um, you'd have to expect going to be pretty darn expensive project Um, and I can't really give you a range, but um, this isn't uh, something that just needs a little minimal investment just to get it back to a secure state is going to be a a hefty investment. Um, You know, coming off the um, I think the closest example we can really give to this would be our recent efforts with the with the upper city park cabins. And we had to put several hundred thousand dollars into those just to maintain them. Um, those frankly, at least at this point, aren't getting programmed, um, the way that we thought they may after, um, we rehabbed them. Hopefully that changes. Hopefully we can still find some uses and the community can find some uses there. But if you want to move to preservation, um, without a particular end use in site, you're still going to be investing hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's not very accessible. That's one of the challenges with the site. You know, many of you have probably been to Waterworks Park and, absent this memo, probably never knew this house even existed there, so it's not like it's it's on the trail sections or in an easy, easy accessible site. So that's a pretty long answer. Um, the answer, of course, is yes, we can do this um, as, as requested. Um, I think you just have to understand what those trade-offs are because this is a this would be a significant undertaking
4: thank you
0: any other may 5th info packet item
1: I think with our strategic planning tomorrow, one of the things that was helpful to frame up future growth and opportunities was IP3, which relates to the analysis of residential development, Um, particularly focusing on the year. But I found the historical, um, going back many years and just seeing that we are very, very low um, in all kinds of residential dwelling development so just i think important for us to kind of keep that framing in mind and um yeah hope that everybody's looked at that and if you haven't maybe you do by tomorrow
0: <laughs> <laughs> may 12th info packet
4: IP5, I appreciated the uh, fire department annual report. Uh, It certainly shows that uh, they're not sitting around just polishing their boots. They've been very busy, uh, each of the... um, uh, departments uh, have been busy and even helping surrounding communities um, i was hoping the chief would be here but i think jeff maybe remembers we had a presentation a while back about the average response time and in this report it mentioned six minutes 28 seconds and if i recall they were pretty they were lower than or right at the national average for that response time um, so I, I commend them on that and think that's really great um and I actually just had first-hand experience with them last night, uh, really late, 1130 last night. A friend fell in her driveway. Mm-hmm. And I tried to help her to get up. And after about 20 minutes of trying, no effort, I, on her part or my part, um, decided to call 911, uh, not knowing what would happen. And. Uh, uh, the uh, dispatcher was very pleasant um, and said it would just be a few minutes. And sure, I didn't time it, but it was a pretty quick response. And the three uh, that responded uh, were familiar with this person because she's fallen before. And she lives very close to, uh, I believe, uh, station number three. So very quick response. Uh, but they were, I, I'll just commend them publicly, they were just very professional. Uh, they... Um, stayed and, and helped her get into our power chair and into her house, made sure she was in her house safely, and then they left. But they were very polite, very kind, and uh, very professional. And, and I was I was impressed. And it was a very quick response, which was which was good. And it wasn't a life-threatening response. She, she, you know, had no injuries that I could tell, but just uh, needed some help getting up off of the ground. So uh, first-hand experience there that uh, it's very, very true. Um, kind of along with that then was IP7 was the 150th anniversary celebration, uh, kind of uh, along with some other things that are going on. Uh, But that's exciting. 150 years is a long time. Uh, So no wonder they do the job so well. They've been doing it a long time. So uh,
6: that's it. I appreciate that. Real real quick, uh, Chief Lyon has a uh, Johnson County Mutual Aid Association meeting tonight, which is why um, oh, okay. he couldn't uh, couldn't be here. Um, but I'll make sure and pass along those comments. Thank you. Um, along with the 150th, I think uh, I'll follow up with you uh, offline, but we'd like to offer an opportunity for the council to, to tour the stations, particularly as we get ready to uh, invest in two new stations uh, down the road. Um, so look, look out for that. I think... Um, uh, um, we thought the 150th was good context to invite you into the firehouses and, and let you see uh, and meet some of the folks and see the facilities. Right. I'll just mention uh, IP6, the, the letter uh, which was from Lynn McGuire
5: in the Northside neighborhood. Uh, it too, maybe something like the um, residential development memo um, to keep in mind tomorrow when we have our uh, strategic planning exercise
0: hmm Great. All right. We are going to move on to the University of Iowa Student Government with their updates. And we have the new leadership here with us today. So yes, please welcome and introduce yourselves.
3: Hi, Council. Yeah, it's a very exciting day. So, as you mentioned, um, USG is beginning our summer session, and with that, working with the new cabinet. Um, So, we hope to continue to coordinate and bring some more cabinet members throughout the summer. Um, But first off, let me introduce you or let Keaton introduce himself.
5: Uh, Hi, I'm a second year student at the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. I'm studying political science and as the deputy city liaison, I want to focus on sustainability initiatives and look forward to working with the council uh, to make the city and campus a better environment. And then uh, for an announcement uh, the daily I- on the Daily Island, uh, so we had the spring 2022. Uh, that class has graduated, and it was the first spring graduation held uh, on- in Carver since 2019. So that's a big accomplishment.
3: Yeah. That's our only announcements tonight. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks to both of you, and welcome to council meeting for the first time. Well, I don't know if it's your first time, but <laughs> welcome to council meetings, yes. All right. Council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. Seem like it's been a quiet two weeks. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else for now? Hearing nothing, we are adjourned until 6 p.m.